This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed. Thanks for joining me this Wednesday. We'll begin our hour of old-time radio crime with Richard Diamond, private investigator. We'll hear the January 25th, 1952 episode titled The Al Brenner's Case. After that, it's the adventures of Philip Marlowe and the dude from Manhattan, his story from July 2nd, 1949. The makers of Camel Cigarettes present Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, private detective. of a cigarette is in the smoking. Steady smoking. Smoke only Camels for 30 days and enjoy Camels' rich, full flavor, a flavor that no other cigarette has. You'll see how mild Camels are pack after pack, how well they agree with your throat week in and week out. You'll soon see why Camel is by far America's most popular cigarette. Why Camel is the steady smoke for you. Here transcribed is Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. Diamond Detective Agency for Mayhem of Distinction. Ooh. Ooh. Yes. Oh. No. Ooh. Why? Mayhem of Distinction. I said that. And I said ooh. Was it that bad? Mm Mm-hmm. Say it. Diamond Detective Agency for Mayhem of Distinction. Mm. See? Yeah. Well, what am I going to do? About what? About slogans. It's tough after a while. How about when I call you up, I give the slogan instead? Well, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, I'll have to give you an audition. All right. I need a new one every morning. Fine. Starting tomorrow morning. I'll call you back the minute I have one. Bless your heart. I'm going to see you tonight. Sure, about seven. Now, I'll call you back the minute I have one. Uh, Diamond? Well... What? Uh, can I talk to you? Sure, come on in. Rick? Somebody just came in. Oh. Bye. Bye. Well, it's been a long time, Tiny. Yeah. What can I do for you? I got a proposition. You do, huh? Yeah. How'd you like to make yourself 2500 Tiny, I like money, but when a guy like you has a proposition... It's on the up and up, Diamond. Well, if it is, it's the first time. Well, all you got to do is listen. If you don't like it, you don't take it. For $2,500, i will listen. You read the papers this morning? Yeah. Al Brenner skipped I read that. Yeah, Al Brenner's was supposed to appear before the grand jury. They had enough on him to put him away for 20 years. There's a reward. $5,000. Yep. Uh-huh. 2500 would be half of that, wouldn't it? Just half. Where is he? Uh-uh. That's what you wanted me to listen to, isn't it? But I'm not sure I know where he is. I just think. You want me to make sure? Then I want you to help. I got the lead, but I don't want to turn him in. You know what happens if the boys find out you tip me? Well, I give it a lot of thought. Look, uh... Tiny, Tiny, I, I, uh, I gotta be honest. I don't like you. Well, that's okay. I never did. Well, I'd done you a few favors when you was a cop. You came out all right, and I still didn't like you. I don't like professional stoolies. Well, okay, I'm not And especially, I don't like one for a partner. Well, then take the whole 5000 and pay me for my services. No, no. 
If I can do Walt Levinson a favor and bring in Brenner's and still make $2,500, we'll split it right down the middle. It's a deal? As long as I don't have to see you too much. Now, this is what I've got. There's a guy named Stringer. You heard of him? I don't think so. But he's not a local boy. He's an import. Used to work for Brenner's back in St. Louis, 1929-30. When Brenner's moved east, he stayed and did himself some good. That's before my time. Well, Stringer's in town. So what? I hear Brenner's ain't even skipped town. I hear he's hiding out right in town somewhere until the heat cools. That'd be smart. He knows they'd cover everything in and out. Well, Brenner's skipped yesterday morning. The law didn't spot it until the afternoon. I heard about Stringer, and I started thinking. Brenner's needs a contact. He's smart, and he wouldn't trust any of his local boys. Mm, so Stringer's it? Yeah. That's all you've got? No. I followed Stringer last night, and I lay ten to one he saw Brenner's. Where? You meet me tonight at the corner of Maple and Palm. Maple and Palm? Long Island. Well, what's out there? You'll be there. I'll show you. Oh, look, Tiny, you... Yeah, I'm just playing it safe, Diamond. I tell you everything, you could make the score alone, and I couldn't open the mouth. Okay, Tiny. What time? Eight o'clock. Well, I'd made a deal with Tiny Gillespie. Half of a $5,000 reward for Al Brenner, one of the biggest hoodlums in the business. I'd known Tiny for a lot of years. He was a professional stoolie who knew the underworld like the inside of his shirt and didn't have a friend to his name. It was dangerous doing business with Tiny, but 2500 can take the edge off a lot of danger. I went home, changed my clothes, and was about to pick up the phone to call Helen. Yeah? I called your office. Oh, hi, dear. How's this? Diamond Detective Agency. If you can't get Sherlock or Perry Mason for 100 a day, I start chasing. Helen. Pretty good, huh? Oh, it's, uh, it's great. I thought so. Just great. Uh, why'd you leave your office so early? Uh, I was just going to call you. Rick. Uh, I can't make it until later, sweetheart. I'm sorry. But I started such a wonderful dinner. And I started making $2,500. $2,500? Yes, dear. Well, you just take your time. The dinner's not that important. I knew you'd understand. Now, work hard and don't worry about me. I'll see you when you solve the case. And get the $2,500. Rick, you don't think that I'm only interested in the money. Not in a million dollars. Uh, years. <laughs> Because Helen was so interested in my welfare, I managed to borrow her convertible, and by 8 o'clock I was parked at the corner of Maple and Palm on Long Island. It was easy to understand why Tiny had picked the spot to meet. It was as dark as a mine shaft, and there wasn't a house within a half mile. I lit a camel, sat back to wait. It got to be 8.15, and Tiny still hadn't arrived. By 8.30, I was beginning to wonder if he ever would, and by 9, I was sure he wouldn't. I turned the car back for town, kicked myself all the way there. A guy like Tiny you couldn't trust, and I was feeling a little more than guilty for getting involved. By the time I hit Broadway, I was madder than a wild bull with a hot foot. I turned right, drove down to the river, and a dive called the Purple Garter, a hangout for a wino's bum and a stoolie named Tiny Gillespie. There were only a few customers in the room and a bartender named Samson that I'd done business with before. Hello, Mr. Diamond. Oh, hello, Samson. I'm looking for Tiny Gillespie. He ain't here. How about a drink? Mm, no, I'm not interested in a long illness. Have you seen Tiny? Earlier. What's earlier? Around seven. He left around seven. Know where he was going? He didn't leave no forwarding address. What's he done? I was just looking for him. If you see him, tell him that, will you? I'll tell him. Oh. 
Hey. Hmm? Friend of yours. Well, well, well. Hi, Rick. Get the skids? Oh, what are you doing? Looking for a chocolate malt? Hello, Samson. Hi, Lieutenant. Yeah, not thirsty. You guys are turning into snobs. You don't give us much choice, Samson. It's that or a stomach pump. Huh. I shoulder your insults with complete disinterest. <laughs> Who are you looking for, Fatty? Who says I am? Come on, you're wearing that official frown. Prune Brow Levinson. Samson, you seen Tiny Gillespie? Oh, Tiny's getting popular. What do you mean, ho-ho? Just ho-ho. What do you mean he's getting popular? Mr. Diamond was just asking for him. Oh, that's what I meant. Uh, what did you want him for, Rick? He was supposed to meet me. Why? Just a dog. About what? Oh, stop acting like a cop. What's it all about? I'm just in checking on Tiny's activities prior to 8 o'clock tonight. And just what did Tiny do prior to 8 o'clock tonight? For one thing, he got himself killed. <laughs> Before we continue with Richard Diamond, here are a few words about smoking enjoyment. For proof of the mildness of camels, the makers of camels went to noted throat specialists. These doctors made weekly examinations of the throats of hundreds of people, people with normal throats from coast to coast who smoked only camels for 30 days. After making 2,470 examinations, the throat specialist reported not one single case of throat irritation due to smoking camels. Make your own 30-day camel test, the thorough, sensible test of cigarette mildness. Smoke only camels for 30 days and enjoy the rich, full flavor of America's most popular cigarette. See how mild camels are, how well they agree with your throat. Pack after pack, week after week. You'll soon see that camel is the steady smoke for you. How mild, how mild, how mild can a cigarette be? Make the camel 30-day test and you'll see. Smoke camels and see. And now back to Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. It all started when a professional stool pigeon named Tiny Gillespie thought he knew the whereabouts of Al Brenner, the missing defendant in a grand jury investigation. Tiny had agreed to meet me at 8 o'clock that night, but he never showed up. And when I went looking for him, I ran into Lieutenant Walt Levinson, 5th Precinct Police. Walt told me Tiny had been killed. We went out of the station where we talked more about it. He was killed sometime between 7.30 and 8. Where? About a half mile from where you say you were supposed to meet him. How? Oh beaten to death. What? That's right. Somebody really worked him over. Well, wait a minute, I got a medical report here, son. Yeah, here it is. Broken back, fracture of the femur, fracture okay, of... Okay, okay. He was a mess. Want a cookie, Bright Eyes? Uh, no, thanks, Daddy. Help yourself. Is that part of your diet? Yeah. Whoops, the weight off you. That's obvious. Tell me, uh, Skinny, you ever hear of a hood named Stringer? Stringer? St. Louis worked for Al Brenner's in 1929 and 30. Well, what's she got to do with it? Tiny's been following him. Tiny thought Stringer was working as a contact for Brenner's. Tiny say Brenner's was still in town? Mm, he thought so. He said he followed the Stringer someplace and he believed he met with Brenner's. Rick, you ought to know better than to get mixed up with a guy like Tiny. 
You ought to double date with my conscience. Well, I take better care of it than you do. Uh, want some coffee? Yeah, black. Sugar? Of the usual, 12 lumps. <laughs> Listen, sweetie pie, if Brenner's is close and Tiny was supposed to meet you a half mile from where he was killed... It's a good bet Brenner's could still be in that area. Unless he skipped again and found out Tiny had him spotted. Mm. Well, he knows he'd never get out of town now, and I don't think he's too worried about killing Tiny. I don't think he'd ever figure Tiny would tell anybody what he knew. He knows Tiny's done business with the law. Mm. And he knows that the law would have come instead of Tiny. That's right. I think Brenner's is worried, but if he's got a good hideout, I think he'll stay put. Here's a lab report on Tiny. Scrapings from the bottom of his shoes indicate fertilizer and new grass. Tiny's body was lying at the bottom of a gully. Nothing but dirt and clay. Mm. Any houses near? Not for miles. Show me on the map where the body was found. Sure. Right there. Hmm. I was supposed to meet him there, Maple and Palm. Sure isn't much in that section. Tiny couldn't have been too far from me before he was killed. He wouldn't have picked Maple and Palm if it was very far from what he wanted to show me. That makes sense, but they sure wouldn't dump his body too close to Brenner's hideout. Okay, okay. Maybe they drove him five or ten miles. Five or ten miles in every direction from Maple and Palm. Yeah, that's a lot of territory. Yeah, I know. Well, you better start checking it. I've got a hunch you'll dig up Brenner's. I'll put out an APB on a stringer guy as soon as I check the records and talk with St. Louis for a description. Fine. I'll see you later. Where are you going? To see if I can beat you to Brenner's. Now, look, bright eyes. Oh, honey, with Tiny dead, there's a big old 5,000 all-in-one chunk. I'll let you know if I find Brenner's. I don't want the glory, just the loot. I left the station, climbed in the car, and a drive to a gas station where I filled up with gas and picked up a map of the Long Island section. Then I went back to my office and started checking the Long Island phone directory. I knew it would take me a week to find a new lawn, and Walt was already doing that, so I concentrated on something else. I looked for some place that might sell fertilizer and grass seed. There was one such place in that area, Hudson Garden Supplies, and there was a phone. I took a chance that maybe the owner or someone lived there and called it. Ah, uh, yeah. Is this the Hudson Garden Supply? Huh? Is this the Hudson Garden... Yeah, who is this? Well, who is this? This is Hudson. Who is this? My name's Diamond. Well, what do you want? It's after 12. Did you sell any fertilizer or grass seed in the last two or three weeks? Are you kidding? You do sell fertilizer? Oh, look, wise guy. Oh, come on. This is police business. Police? Lieutenant Walt Levinson, 5th Precinct. I thought you said your name was... Diamond. Now, you want us to come out and pull you out of bed? Oh, look, I'm sorry. It sounded like a gag. Well, have you sold any fertilizer or grass seed in the last few weeks? Oh, yeah. I sold a lot of fertilizer. It's good fertilizer. Any grass seed? Yeah. To an address in that area? Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I sold a big load. Who'd you sell it to? Well, I don't remember the bill. I'll have to look it up. Look it up. Well, now? Unless you want us to come out there and help you. Well, okay. Hold the phone. Good job. Hello? Yeah? Uh, that grass seed went to 7788 Shoreham Drive. What's the name on the bill? The uh, Hillview Rest Home. You sell any other grass seed the last week? No, but it's a lot of flowers and plants and plenty of fertilizer. You must love your work. <laughs> climbed back into the car and headed back for Long Island on 7788 Shoreham Drive. 
Forty minutes later, I pulled up on a lonely, dark road and turned the car lights out. The Hillview Rest Home stood out against the moon like a lonely castle. It was dark, except for a light in one of the wings, and the grounds were surrounded by a high fence. I got out of the car and started walking. I kept going until I found a section of fence that a man might climb and not be seen from the house. I went up and over, dropping down and stopping my fall with my hands. When I felt my hands, they were wet and covered with new grass. There were about a hundred yards between the fence and the main building, and the moon reflected off the wet grass like a mirror. If anybody was watching from the house, I'd never make it without being seen. I bent as low as I could and ran about halfway and stopped, listening. It was like a bad dream, crouching under the moon, trying to make my breath come out slowly so it wouldn't show against the cold and feeling like I wanted to dig a hole and hide right there, or better still, wake up. I started again, running low, looking from side to side, but never behind. I got to the main building and slammed myself against it. I stayed there until I caught my breath. Then I moved around to the front door and tried it. I got the surprise of my life. It was open. I found myself standing in a large room, dark, except for a small red light burning over a door at the back. A staircase to my left led to the floors above, and there was another smaller room to my right that was black, except for the shafts of moonlight slanting down through the barred windows. Barred windows and an open door. Something was wrong. Don't move. Hmm? Don't move. He was behind me, probably waiting behind the door. When I came in, and with the door unlocked like that, it figured he had been expecting me. You turn around, I'll shoot you. In that case, you'll pardon my back. I'll take your gun. I don't have one. What would you call this? Oh, that's really just a big cigarette lighter? Yeah. Now your wallet. Oh, look, what is this? Richard Diamond, private detective. Yeah. A private detective. Who may retire. Yeah, I think I can guarantee it. Did you spot me crossing the lawn? When you climbed the fence, it set off an alarm. Well, my car broke down. I thought you maybe... You could use the phone. Yeah. I'm afraid I don't believe you. Who is it, Barnes? You better come down and see. He's a private detective. Turn on the light. He had a gun. Well. You know him? Hello, Brenners. He's a private cop, all right. Used to be a legit cop. How are you, Diamond? Surprised. I thought you skipped. You know I didn't. Tiny got to you, huh? Tiny? I told you. I told you we... Oh, we shut been... up. Look, you you got to get out of here. I'll lose my whole business. You're making enough off. But now with this private detective and that man last night, no telling how many more... How gonna... tiny find me? I don't know who you're talking about, Brenners. I'm just as surprised at seeing you as... Ah, oh, you're lying. Brenners, please, he might have told the police what he knows. They'd be here by now if he had. You're going to be in a little trouble, hiding out a man who's wanted by the federal government. He's right, Brenners. Whether he's trying to talk himself out of a jam or not, he's right. Relax. When Stringer gets here, I'll leave. Thank goodness. In the meantime, you better take care of Diamond. You mean, like, uh... Yeah. The way you did with Tiny Gillespie. No, but he's in there... You don't want to lose this place, do you? No. And I don't want anybody around to talk about me. How come you worked Tiny over like that? Why didn't you just use your gun? <laughs> You're in for a treat, Diamond. 
You're going to have a hard time working me over like that. Well, we're not going to do a thing. Hey, better take him downstairs. Stringer should be here any minute. Yeah, all right. Walk over to that door. Nice seeing you again, Doug. Yeah. Open the door. Go on, I'll have to shoot you. Keep going. Down those stairs. You're making a big mistake. I have no choice. State's evidence might get you off easy. Oh, well, a murder charge? Might get just life. And I might not. Stop right there. Open the door and go on in. Oh, now, Lord. I'll shoot you right here. Okay. Alf. Alf. I'm here. What is that? I got somebody for you, Alf. Get in there. Oh, now, Lord. I was locked in the basement, and there was someone else there with me. It was a man. His head was shaved clean, and his eyes were wild and staring. He was sitting in a corner, and as he pulled himself up, he looked at me, kept his head to one side like he was listening to something. I gotta take care of you, too, man. Then he was on his feet, shoulders hunched, and his arms hanging at his sides. And even bent over like that, he must have been six and a half feet tall. He shuffled towards me like an ape, and I realized what it was that had given Tiny such a beating. You're bigger than the last one. You're gonna give me a little fight? Easy, boy, easy. <laughs> I put my back to the wall and kept circling him, but he seemed to enjoy watching me try to get away. He'd reach out, and when I'd duck, he'd smile a horrible mouthful of teeth and rub his hands together like a little kid with a new game. <laughs> I kept moving, talking to him, trying to calm him down, but I knew there wasn't a chance. The basement was a solid four walls and the heavy locked door, and one of us would have to die before the night was over. The way things stood, it was pretty obvious who it was going to be, and if I kept running, I was going to get tired and die a lot quicker. I stopped. Don't you want to play no more? He looked almost unhappy, like he wanted to keep on playing and wasn't going to be able to. He started moving in again, and I kicked him as hard as I could in the stomach. He doubled over, and for a second I felt bad. Then he straightened and rushed me. He got his arms around me, and it was like being caught by a boa constrictor. The harder I fought, the tighter he squeezed. I started to pass out. Thought I heard shots. Then he picked me up over his head and threw me the length of the room. I, I tried to sit up, but I was too dazed. In the half-light, I watched him shuffle in, his arms swinging. He was so strong and didn't even know he was fighting a man. Just a doll that wouldn't play anymore, and he was going to break it in a thousand pieces. He reached for me just when somebody on the other side of the door started shooting. The giant stopped as the bolt of the door was pulled back, and then he turned. Rick! You come to fight me, too? Look out, Ross. Located Stringer and tailed him. Saw Helen's car parked outside the fence. What is that thing over there? Oh, just an animal. It used to be a man, I guess. That's the way Tiny got killed. Ooh. How bad are you? Oh, just shaken up. But another couple of minutes. And... Well, I'll give you a hand. <clears throat> Thanks. 
<sighs> you get Brenner's? Yeah, they're putting him in the car. Lean on me. I'm okay. What was all the shooting outside the door? Oh, Barnes. He uh, didn't want to let me in. Who told you I was down here? The minute we came through the front door, Barnes headed down the stairs. I spotted him and went after him. Oh, bless your little heart. Uh, what are you going to do with that 5000 Oh, Walt, I'm going to buy you the best present you ever had in your life. Like it, dear? Oh, it's a beautiful stone. Well, it's it's really nothing. Nothing? Got the beast doing a summer safari in Africa. No, but by Jove, this is mink. Well, what did you expect, old girl? Unborn meadow mouse? No, but look here. There isn't a mink within 10,000 miles of Africa. Come to think of it, he was rather winded. <laughs> well, now, don't laugh, old girl. That mink was the biggest animal I've ever seen. Stood six feet high and weighed 180. Couldn't kill him. Well, then how did you ever get the stone? Gave him a haircut. Oh, no. Well, you'll sit right there and play the piano while I run upstairs and put on something that'll show off my stove. No, I did. What a memory. Oh, baby, what I couldn't do With plenty of money and you in spite of the worry that money brings, just a little filthy lucre buys a lot of things, and I can take you to places you'd like to go. But outside of that, I've no use for dough. It's the root of all evil, of strife and upheaval. But I'm certain, honey, that life could be sunny with plenty of money and you. That was pretty. Thank you. Ooh. How do I look? Oh, that mink never had it so good. Are we going to dinner? Right, dear. I'm going to buy you the fanciest... Oh, I'll get it. Ashes Mink Farm. Rick, your present just arrived. Oh, I hope you like it, Walt. I don't know how to thank you. Well, it's... Nothing. I know. Wear it in good health, and I'll see you soon. I'll never forget you for this, old man. Bye. What? Mm-hmm. He loved his present. Well, you got him a present, too. Well, he saved my life. I bought him a beautiful cashmere uniform. Cashmere uniform? We couldn't get over it. Now, let's go, dear. Rick. Hmm? You must have spent an awful lot of money. For the people I love. I've still got about 1500 left. That's pretty good after taxes. Taxes? Rick. Oh, give me a pencil, give me a pencil. Right there on the stand. Oh. Didn't you take out any withholding? $5,000. cashmere uniform. Only seven fifty dollars each stole. Take away. Take away. Take away. Oh! Ricky! I owe the government $1,600! <laughs> Dick Powell will return in just a minute. Tens of thousands of doctors, doctors in all branches of medicine, in all parts of the country, were asked what cigarette they smoked. The brand named most was Camel. Yes, according to this nationwide survey, 
More doctors smoke Camels than any other cigarette. Enjoy Camels, the cigarette so many doctors enjoy. And say, friends, buy your Camels by the carton, the handy, thrifty way. Yes, that way you always have Camels when you want them. How might my cigarette be? Smoke Camels and Here's Dick Powell with a special message. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, the hospitalized men of our armed forces like to know that they're not forgotten. Each week, the makers of camels send out thousands of packs of gift camels to these men. This week's camels go to Veterans Hospitals, Aspinwall, Pennsylvania, and Louisville, Kentucky. Tinker Air Force Hospital, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. To all hospitals operated by the Army for U.S. forces in Austria. Now until next week, enjoy camels. I always do. Tonight's transcribed adventure of Richard Diamond was written and directed by Blake Edwards with music by Frank Worth. Virginia Gregg played the part of Helen Asher and Alan Reed was Lieutenant Levinson. Others in the cast were Howard McNear, Ed Max, Jane Avello, and Joel Samuels. Be sure to listen to another great camel show, Vaughn Monroe and the Camel Caravan, every Saturday night. The bite is out and the pleasure's in when you smoke Prince Albert. The bite's out and the pleasure's in when you pack your pipe with America's largest selling smoking tobacco, Prince Albert. PA's choice tobacco is specially treated to ensure against tongue bite. Yes, with Prince Albert, the bite's out and the pleasure's in. And there's more tobacco in the pocket tin. Listen next week for another exciting adventure of Richard Diamond, starring Dick Powell. This is your FBI. The official broadcast from the files of the FBI follows immediately. Stay tuned. This program came to you from Hollywood. This is the American Broadcasting Company. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road and those who travel it wind up in the gut of the prison of the grave. There's no other end. But they never learn. This time it was going to be a vacation in the wide open spaces. But a black stallion, a tiny emerald, and a battered horseshoe met a 24-hour delay. It could have been worse. Because to the dude from Manhattan, they meant death. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of mystery, comes his most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy. As we present... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. With Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Dude from Manhattan. Every so often, life in the city seems to boil down to nothing but noise and concrete, where all a deep breath does for you is to pack more exhaust fumes into your lungs. And the nearest thing to nature is a mangy sparrow pecking survival out of a dirty alley. So when I got a long-distance call from an old friend inviting me to spend a week in the great outdoors at a ranch he just bought near Rattlesnake Mountain, <laughs> I snapped at the chance. Inside an hour, I was rolling down the highway toward San Bernardino. And 120 miles later, at 5 o'clock, I turned in under a big arch of gnarled cedar that spelled out Rainbow Ranch. But the layout beyond was about as primitive as a dry martini. A ranch house the size of Union Station was backed up by blue tile, swimming pool, paved tennis court, and a semicircle of bungalows with all the rustic charm of a Hollywood motel. 
I drove on in slowly as a broad-brimmed hat, red gabardine shirt, hickok belt, and hand-tooled boots bounced out the door and ran toward me. It was my host, the ex-hotel man, Harold R. Lawson. Oh, rascal. How are you, boy? I am sure glad you can make it. File out, and I'll show you around. Hey, what is all this, Harold? <laughs> From your phone call, I expected a shack with oil lamps, a wood stove, and at least a few head of cattle. Oh, you mean I didn't tell you? Why, this is a guest ranch, Phil. Guest ranch. The best in the West. Oh, brother. <laughs> oh, and incidentally, don't call me Harold. No, huh? Bad atmosphere for the dudes. The name's Buck now. Buck Lawson. Buck? <laughs> oh, 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 no. Oh, I got a real spread here, Phil. Real spread. Fourteen big cabins, string of thirty horses, stables down there. Oh, hello, Buck. Beautiful day, isn't it? Howdy, folks. Sure is. <clears throat> Mr. and Mrs. Doberman. He's a big van of storage man in L.A. Oh. As I was saying, I... Thunder! Who's coming? Red Rider? Uh, not funny, Phil. Not funny. Look. It's thunder. Oh, that black devil, he's loose again. That horse will kick the fence down if those fools don't hold him. Hey, hey, that's some animal. He's a beauty. Yes, and a renegade. A skittish, temperamental bronco with anybody but Virgil Sawyer. Yeah? Oh, they got a rope on him now. That'll hold him, huh? Uh, not for long. Sawyer's the only hand I've got who can get close to that stallion. He's leaving tomorrow. Blast it. How come? Well, frankly, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah, ah, uh, uh, wait a minute. I came up here for a rest, not a job. I know, I know. You'll get it, Phil. You'll get it. But uh, since you're here, I figure you could sort of keep your eyes open for me. Lawson, it's a dirty trick. No, 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 Phil, please. I'm expecting trouble, and bluntly, I can't afford it. Mm. Every cent I've got is tied up in this ranch. A serious scandal could ruin me. And you're just the one who can keep that sort of thing Okay, okay. So it's the old hotel business on horseback. How does this Sawyer mean trouble? Well, there's a couple here from the east, the Mortons. He's a top silk wholesaler from New York and rich. Oh? And that kind means everything to me, Phil. But his wife, Judy, an ex-dance instructor with Arthur Murray back east, is... Well, she's bored stiff out here. And the upshot of it all is that somehow... Mm -hmm. Somehow she and your cowboy Sawyer started making eyes at each other, and the husband got nasty about it, huh? How did you know that? Yeah, well, it's standard, like a B-picture plot. Well, anyway, they came to blows this morning. Maybe Virgil's innocent, maybe not, but I can't take a chance, so I fired him. Ordered him to pack and get off the place by tomorrow. Well, that's that. What are you worried about? Plenty. Sawyer's a proud man, Marlowe. He, he was furious. He threatened to get even. I'm not sure he means it, but if he does, well, that's what we have to look out for. The we, huh? Now, look, Buck, you built me into coming up here, and I got a good notion to turn wait, around... Wait, wait, wait. Hold it, Phil. What's the matter? You see that couple going into cabin number eight? Yeah. That's the couple I'm talking about, the Mortons, Paul and Judy. Cabin eight, huh? But don't tell me. Just let me guess. Yeah. Yeah. You're right, Phil. You've got number seven. Mm. Okay. Yeah, sure. Number seven it is. I'll be seeing you, Buck. I walked up to number seven and waited for the boy to show up with my bag. Then I started to unpack, but stopped when I heard a riot next door. At that point, sprawling Rainbow Ranch was just a horizontal tenement. Nothing more. Well, let me point out a few... Now what are you doing? Shutting the window. Isn't it bad enough to make a fool of yourself in private? You have to make a public scene as well? The voices rattled on for a few minutes, then dwindled off into a long and golden silence that said maybe a peace treaty had been signed. But then a door slammed to number eight, so I peeked out. It was Morton. And from the look on his face, I knew the peace treaty was nothing but an armed truce. I followed him to the big lodge and into the bar, and when he sat down, I took the stool next to him. Well, uh, what'll it be, gentlemen? Scotch and water, no ice. Uh, the same, with ice. Well, Mr. Morton, I guess that brands us as dudes, huh? <laughs> Bourbon's the only drink out west. I wouldn't know, I'm sure. Oh, it's a fact. Uh, hey, that's a handsome ring you got there. 
And the initials are the same as mine. Those stones are emeralds, aren't they? That's right. Yeah. There's supposed to be four of them. One's missing, I see. Is that an emerald, too? It was. Happens to be my birthstone. Oh, here you are, gentlemen. Oh, fine. Allow me, Mr. Morton. There you are. Oh, thank you, sir. How'd you lose it? Stone, I mean. I don't know. It happened several months ago, and in any case, it's no concern of yours. Now, if you don't mind, I'd just as soon be left alone. Oh, well, that's too bad. Here I was hoping I'd find out all about the silk business. The silk? What do you mean by that? Oh, just conversation. You are in that business, aren't you? Of course, but... Hey, who are you, anyway? Name's Marlowe. And just why are you prying into my personal affairs, Mr. Marlowe? Because I got a little free advice for you. Cool off before you start the kind of fire you can't put out, huh? So that's it. That cowboy saw it. Mm-hmm. Marlowe, now you're getting too personal. I suggest that you mind your own business. Oh, I'm sorry. Didn't mean to lose my temper that way. Good night. Yeah, it's bound to be. Charming, isn't he? Well, Mrs. Morton, where'd you come from? I was standing over there watching. My husband has all the social grace of a tarantula. Well, maybe you should have looked closer before you made the leap. Oh, that's the wonderful thing about him. Yeah? You're not apt to like Paul much when you first meet him. But once you get to know him, you hate him. Yeah, I'm not sure that's funny. It's not supposed to be. I've been living with him for six months now. So jealous, it's unbelievable. He wouldn't leave me in New York, oh no. Insisted on dragging me out to this... This dust bowl with running water. Why a ranch, I'll never understand. He doesn't know one end of a horse from another. Well, with his aptitude, he'll learn. <laughs> you know, it might be he figured you two might get back together if you had a chance to relax in the open, Mrs. Morton. Mm-hmm. So he said. However, we weren't here ten minutes before he accused me of getting romantic with that leather-faced cowboy. Does that make sense? I don't know. Both gentlemen are justified. You're lovely to look at. Somebody ought to remind my husband. <laughs> His idea of welding a marriage is to spend all his time playing gin with that Doverman. Who? Doverman, the van and storage character from Los Angeles. Oh. Which, of course, leaves me saddled with his wife, Carrie. Now, there's a cute personality for you if you happen to like neurotic parrots. So what with the desert, the dame, and gin rummy? Virgil began to look pretty good, is that it? Excuse me, folks. Uh, Care to order another drink before dinner? Yes, I would. And I'd like it over there, alone. Make it Manhattan, bartender. Strictly Manhattan. And make it double. Mr. Marlowe, good night. Hmm. No, I'm not so sure. It was almost dark when I left the bar and headed down to the bunkhouse where the working personnel of Rainbow Ranch called home. The casual clutter of rumpled cots, scattered pulp fiction, and dusty boots gave it the only sign of authenticity I'd seen in the entire place. But aside from that, it was empty. Then a noise from outside brought me around the building to the back where I ran up against six and a half lean feet of solitary cowboy with his hat shoved back on his head, pitching horseshoes. <laughs> he was out of uniform for a flashy dude wrangler, which left him in a faded blue shirt and Levi's that fitted his lanky legs like a pair of bent stovepipes. He spotted me and stood there swinging a battered horseshoe in each hand while I walked up to him. Hello? Hiya, Sawyer. A little dark for horseshoes, isn't it? A little... Hey, hey, you're good. <laughs> good at horses, too, huh? I understand you're the only man who can handle that black stallion, Thunder. Yeah. What's the secret? No secret. Just have to treat him right. What's on your mind, mister? The fact that you're leaving tomorrow? I reckon you better keep out of my business. Uh, now, look, Sawyer, it takes at least two to make a fight. And fights are poison to Buck Lawson. So? I don't like to see my friends poisoned. Now, uh... 
Why don't you take it easy, huh? Lay off. Keep your nose clean. I don't know who you are, mister, but I'll tell you this anyway, seeing as you're so interested. I'm leaving here tomorrow, all right. But I'm going to square up with a couple of folks first before I go. I got a raw deal here, and I'm just not the kind to take it laying down. What do you mean, raw deal? You're a big boy now. You ought to know better than to get yourself all involved. I'm not much for conversation, fella, but I'm going to say something real plain so you'll be sure to sell me. By the time I got myself untangled and back on my feet, the strong, silent fugitive from the old Chisholm Trail was gone. However, my original theory that it takes two to make a fight was still valid. So I decided to find Paul Morton and spend the rest of the evening close to him. His cabin was dark, but I remembered the running gin game he had with a big van and storage man. So I went down the line to the Doverman cabin and knocked. It was Carrie, the perennial dude, who galloped up to open the door. Howdy, stranger. Come on in and set a spell. Our latch is always stringing out. Well, I sure do thank you, ma'am. My name's Marlowe. Orville, this is Mr. Marlowe. <laughs> Howdy, Marlowe. Howdy. Hope you'll excuse the looks of the place. Our box of extra clothes just arrived from town. Carrie's been unpacking it. Sit down there, Mr. Marlowe. They're mostly old things. Just throw them on the floor. Oh, thanks. But really, I can't stay. I'm looking for Paul Morton. I thought I might find him here. Morton? Say, there's a nice chap. Met, met him day before yesterday for the first time. And won $90 off him in gin already. Haven't seen him tonight, though. Orville was out looking for him himself just a few minutes ago. Weren't you, dear? Why, yes. As a matter of fact, I was. You didn't locate him, huh? No, I didn't. You know, he seemed to be all upset this afternoon. Couldn't keep his mind on the game. I thought I'd have a little chat with him to calm him down some. Orville's a whiz at that, Mr. Marlowe. Oh, it's not me, Carrie. It's this country. I don't see how a man can keep trouble in his mind on a place like this ranch, Marlowe. It can happen, believe me. Poppycock, why, son, there's something about this open land around here that cleans out a man's head and his heart, too. You sound like a travelogue. I mean it. A few more days of this and mortal forget there ever was such a thing as a cash register. Yes, sir. Give this untamed countryside a chance and it'll cure anything. Oh. Yes, well... Marlo, oh, come here, quick. What was that? Wasn't the call of the wild, Mr. Doverman. Lawson, what's the matter? Bill, come on. Down to the stable. Hurry. Something terrible's happened. How'd you find out about it, Lawson? One of the boys told me. Heard thunder raising a terrible fuss. Come over to check, but by then it was all over. Yeah. Give me the lantern, Harold, will you? Here you are, here you are. Holy smoke. It's Paul Morton, all right. He's been trampled to death. Oh, it's a ghastly accident. And it's all my fault, Phil. I, I knew thunder was dangerous, and I didn't get rid of it. All right, take it easy, take it easy. Well, There's I... a lot of questions to be answered before anybody takes the... Bl- hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Look at this. Here by the gate. Oh, it's just a horseshoe. Stables are full of them, Phil. Yeah, not like this one. Look at it. It's all batted up. Well, all right. It's batted. What's that supposed to mean? Nothing yet. But it gives me an idea. Because the last time I saw one of these, it was being pitched at an iron stake behind the bunkhouse. What are you getting at? The chances are at least 50-50 that Paul Morton's death was no accident. It was murder. Just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, perfect musical settings for a Sunday before the 4th will be yours tomorrow afternoon. The symphonette, a half hour of fine orchestral music, and the choral airs, a half hour of brilliant vocal music, are regular Sunday afternoon features on most of these same CBS network stations. And now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, 
The Dude from Manhattan. When I labeled Paul Morton's death something worse than an accident, Lawson's mouth fell open and the muscles in his face jerked as his eyes moved slowly from me out to the now quiet black stallion in the corral who somehow or other seemed to sense the death at our feet. Then as the trembling man's lips silently formed the word murder, he gestured for me to help him carry Morton's body out of the stable. After that, he looked at the dead man's broken face once more, said he was going to call the sheriff's office and hurried away. A minute later, Judy Morton stepped into the small circle of light that surrounded what only a short time ago had been her husband. But except for a thin line of perspiration above her lips, she was no different than when I'd seen her last. I just passed Buck on my way down here. Told me my husband was dead. Did he tell you anything else, Judy? About how Paul died, I mean? No. It was a stallion, wasn't it? An accident? I doubt it. Why, Marlowe? One thing, this horseshoe, too close to the body. But this is a stable. And this is a horseshoe that's been used exclusively for pitching at a stake in the ground. Here, look at it. And remember, Cowboy Virgil's favorite sport is horseshoes. Besides, what reason would your husband have for coming down here at this hour in the first place? He wasn't too crazy about horses, you know. No, but he was about me. Let's move a little away from here, Marlowe. Cigarette? No, thanks. I'm not coming apart at the seams because it isn't in me. I hated Paul. Hated him with all my heart, Marlowe. I'm down here only because he pleaded with me, begged me to talk to him once more to listen to reason. About what? About the decision I came to less than an hour ago, which was divorce, unconditionally. I thought you said you came out here to try to patch things up. I did. I also said that we weren't doing a very good job of it. Then, tonight, a little after we left you with the bar, Marlowe, I got my hands on the lever I needed to pry myself loose from that jealous maniac. It was the knowledge, Marlowe, that... My late husband was crooked. Soap business? Yes. While he was drinking his dinner, I went to one of his suitcases for an aspirin. Found what instead? At least three dozen samples of the best silks made without any importer's or manufacturer's name. And underneath that, $200,000 in cash. I know enough about the silk business to fill in the blanks, Marlowe. Hmm. All of which comes under the heading black market, huh? Yes. I added what I had found to the fact that this dude ranch he had insisted on was close to Los Angeles... Close enough for him to run off and conduct his purchasing while I thought he was communing with nature or playing gin with that Mr. Doverman. Then I had him. Mm -hmm. You also had a divorce, no strings attached, right? Exactly. Blackmail to get rid of your own husband. (laughs) Pretty, isn't it? Yeah. Well, at least with this, this accident or whatever it is, it's no longer necessary. No. Now, Judy, only two things are necessary. One, the location of Virgil Sawyer, and the other, you and your own cabin, where I can ask you some questions later. Why do you want to ask me questions? Well, I might be making a big mistake, baby. But it might be that Virgil and you are out for the 200,000 bucks. You know, honey, that man in the saddle might like money, too. I'll see you. When I started back for the bunkhouse, the only place I knew of that might give me a lead on the strong, silent horseshoe pitcher, I realized that tagging Paul Morton's death for murder was one thing. Proving it was going to be quite another. And when I was there and the place was empty without even signs of a hasty departure, I was sure of it. But not by intuition, as was the gentleman standing in the open doorway watching my every move. Orville Doverman, champion of the wide-open spaces, didn't believe that a clean-cut cowboy could be guilty of anything more unrefined than spitting on a pot-bellied stove. Well, oh, I think you're crazy. Buck told me about your finding that horseshoe next to Morton's body and the conclusion you jumped to from there. You're being very hasty, boy, and that's dangerous, and that's the reason I'm here. I don't believe in necktie parties. Necktie parties? A man's parties. got a right to hey. a fair trial. Hey, hold it. Nobody said anything about lynching your hero. Huh? I want to find Sawyer. 
so that if I'm right, we can save the state the time and trouble of a manhunt. But since you brought it up, vigilante, don't scramble for conclusions too quickly yourself. I happen to have a little more to go on than the relative position of a horseshoe. Not that idle gossip that's going around. The same. At the moment, it figures two ways. Virgil's unhappy enough for the status quo to liquidate the city slicker. Or Virgil and the squaw light out after a clean start the hard way. Choose one. Nonsense, Marlowe. In either case, and especially the stupid suggestion that the girl and Virgil Sawyer are in cahoots. That I can't believe. Well, sentimental reasons I can't either. Besides, Judy Morton found out enough about her husband within the last hour to make murder for freedom's sake very unnecessary. She learned he was a crook, Mr. D., if you can stand the disillusionment. Oh, no, Marlowe. Yes, and shady dealings in silk. Judy didn't go into details about it, but I gather she found out enough to make him sit up and take notice. And that brings us right back to Virgil. Boots, saddles, and all. Yeah. It does, sort of. And we'll argue the fine points later. But right well, now, Mr. Doverman, if you want to make sure that everybody gets a square deal, get close to Judy's cabin and stay there. Sentry duty, your object. All right. And if I'm wrong about the cowboy, you've done nothing worse than waste your time. Goodbye. <laughs> Spent the next 20 minutes talking to cowhands, guests, miscellaneous hired men, any and everybody who might have been able to say he went that away of Virgil Sawyer, with no success. And to make matters worse, when I'd given that up and was on my way back to the lodge to help Lawson wait for the sheriff, I found myself being paged, Howdy. Western style, of course, by no one else but oh, Mrs. Gary Howdy. Doverman, the capital D in Dude Ranch. Howdy. Howdy, ma'am. Oh, Mr. Marlowe. Yeah. Mr. Marlowe, look at this. Look at what I've found. I've struck it rich, you might say, much like the old rustlers. The old uh, rustlers, Mrs. Doverman, stole cattle. Oh? Yes. Oh, yes, so they did. I, I guess I meant those panhandle men. You mm. know, gold is where you find it. <laughs> anyhow, look, it's a precious stone. Small, but nevertheless precious. Uh, uh, mine while digging for worms, no doubt. Oh, Mr. Marlowe, you're teasing me. Yes. You know very well that this is a polished stone. Funny thing, though, is where I found it. Shall I tell you? Oh, please. Please do, Mrs. Dover. Well, I was just unpacking those clothes that mm -hmm. Orville has sent up from Los Angeles. Yeah. Some slacks and things like that. And, well, when I started to hang a pair up, this fell out of one of the cuffs. And then... <laughs> now, I wonder how a little old emerald like this ever got there. Well, it was probably mice, Mrs. Dover. Em emerald? It... Let me see that, quick. Well, yes, of course. But believe me, Mr. Marlowe, it can't be very valuable, I'm sure. I'm not. What are you talking about? Murder, or a reasonable facsimile thereof, and a girl named Judy Morton, if I don't hurry. Goodbye, and bless you, Mrs. Doverman. You talk too much, but now was the right time. As I ran for Judy's cabin, I didn't know any more about the whys and wherefores of Paul Morton's death than I had before I made small talk with Mrs. Doverman. But I did know that unless lady named Luck and I were on the same team, the Rainbow Ranch was due for a second corpse. When I was close enough to the rough oak door, numbered eight, and Orville Doverman, whom I'd asked to stand guard, was nowhere in sight. The full impact of that responsibility sank into where the wingtips on the butterflies in my stomachs were scratching at my hip pocket until I moved in still closer, and there in the light of a single lamp that was halo enough for me, I saw the girl from Manhattan, nervously lighting one cigarette from the end of another, but more important, very much alive. I didn't bother knocking. Marlowe! What are you doing here? What am I doing here? Honey, I'm uncrossing fingers and toes alike. You know, they've been that way since I realized that I opened my mouth too wide, too soon, which puts you right smack on what used to be known as the spot. Oh, so that's the way it happened. Yeah, that's the way it... Now, look, Judy, baby, you can't know what I mean yet. It's Doverman, honey, the gin player with all the moving vans. He's the one your husband was buying that black market silk from. 
I didn't know that until a few minutes ago, which was after I told him where you could be found and that you knew an awful lot. Oh, which, yeah. Mr. Marlowe, he thanks you and warns you not to move. Yo. See what I mean, Phil? Yo, sure, I see. You know, it's funny, Doberman, when I was outside and didn't see you around, or did see that Judy here was still in good health, I figured that either you had decided to sit tight until you knew exactly how much she did know or that you already started to run. Yeah, this I didn't count on. And this, Marlowe, should point up what I said earlier about your jumping to conclusions. It's dangerous. Handling hot silk is child's play. Huh? It has been for me for 20 years, Marlowe. For your husband, Mrs. Morton, it was much more. That's why I had to come to you like this. That's why I had to know if his stupidity went so far that even you knew of me. You shouldn't have bothered Mr. Doberman. I didn't. No, but you see, Marlowe did. That leaves me even. Uh, correction, Doberman. Paul Morton's dead. You're out in front. I didn't kill Morton, Marlowe, and neither did Virgil Sawyer. I saw it all, my friend. So I can tell you that the man who killed Paul Morton was Paul Morton himself. Suicide? Are you out of your mind? No, not suicide, Mrs. Morton. Merely a plan for murder that backfired. The intended victim was you, his wife. Oh, no. Keep talking, Doberman. <laughs> Why, Marlowe? I'd rather keep you guessing. I wouldn't. Duck, baby! Oh! My shoulder! Now the man said keep talking. I, 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 I can't. I'm hit. You'll be again if you don't. Sorry, no. Stay out of this, Marlowe. Come on, Doberman. I'm not going to ask you again. Oh, no. I'm not even going to let you fall until you tell the rest. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll tell you. I overheard Morton ask him. Some go to your place first, Sawyer. Pick up one of your horseshoes, and then he went to the stables near the black stallion stall. The horseshoe in his hat. Oh, Sawyer, my shoulder. Come on, Doberman, you're not finished yet. I, I figured that he was going to... To knock his wife out, leave Sawyer's horseshoe where it'll be found, then half make it look like an accident that would fool nobody, huh? What went wrong, Doberman? Why didn't it work? Oh, he, he approached Thunder from the right side instead of the left. The horse got excited, kicked out, and... Caught him, the dude. Now, let go, Sawyer. Sure, Doberman. With pleasure. It was a slow but steady two hours of first aid and questions and answers mixed with a San Bernardino deputy sheriff who couldn't quite get over it before Orville Doberman was on his way to a hospital that featured barred windows. Mrs. Doverman, a complete innocent, was on her way back to Los Angeles. And Buck Lawson, Judy, and I were in the bunkhouse, watching Virgil Sawyer watch a pot full of water boil for coffee, ranch style. Well, you know, you can't ever tell, Marlo. This whole thing might have just the right effect. Oh. Put the ranch on the map, I mean. <laughs> After all, it was a genuine 100% cowboy who saved the day for us. Mm -hmm. oh, no, that's not right, Buck. Huh? It was Marlo here. I only followed him. Coffee's ready, folks. Oh, yeah, that's good, for me. Good. Let's go. What uh, <laughs> did make you go up there, Mr. Marlo? Oh, a little precious stone, Virgil. An emerald that once fell out of Paul Morton's initial ring. But, Marlo, that happened a long time ago, three, four months well, just after Paul had returned to uh, New York from Los Angeles. Yeah, and negotiations with Doveman. You see, honey, it was Mrs. Doveman, really, who found the missing emerald tonight and a pair of slacks that Orville had sent up here. Then that was proof that Paul must have been with Doverman in Los Angeles before. Yet they claimed to have met for the first time here at the ranch. Uh, yeah, that's what they claimed. That plus what you told me, Judy, made the man with the moving vans it. And, uh, you... Oh! Hey, Virgil, that coffee's hot. Uh, but it's good. <laughs> Well, anyway, since I told Doverman where you were and that you knew your husband had been dealing in black market silks, he took his cue accordingly. Yes, and fortunately, you, yours. 
Well, that makes it two people who tried to kill me tonight. My husband and his partner. Seldom is heard a discouraging word. Oh, fine. And the skies are not cloudy all day. Good night, gentlemen. Virgil Sawyer made good coffee and lots of it. So another hour went by before we finally broke up and I was outside smoking a cigarette and strolling toward my cabin in the start of a vacation that already had been postponed too long. But halfway there, I stopped at the sound of raised voices ahead of me. A man and a woman were arguing violently. And a little away from them, on the porch of my cabin, watching the battle of the sexes with consternation while he waited for me, was Buck Lawson, mine host. <laughs> I turned quickly and hurried back to the bunkhouse where I knew Virgil Sawyer would put me up for the night. Where I knew that early the next morning, I could sneak off, find a quiet, cool stream, and fish. A coyote high in the hill someplace said I had the right idea. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy, star Gerald Moore, and are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Mel Dinelli, Robert Mitchell, and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Charlotte Lawrence, Bill Johnstone, Bill Lally, Herb Butterfield, D.J. Thompson, Lou Krugman, and Jack Carrington. The special music is written by Richard O'Runt. <laughs> Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... I went from a mansion in Bel Air to a cheap flat in Southgate, looking for a girl with a secret, who a man in a pork pie had a wise-cracking secretary and a fat corpse didn't want me to find, but who I found anyway because of the quiet number. <laughs> highly individual, highly entertaining mystery adventure shows stand high among the top shows on CBS every Sunday. The Green Llama, Call the Police, Sam Spade. Go adventuring with them every Sunday when they come to you over most of these same CBS stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking. Now, stay tuned for Gangbusters, which follows immediately over most of these same CBS network stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That's it for Case Closed this week. I hope you enjoyed our shows this time. You can find more from Philip Marlowe, Richard Diamond, past episodes of Case Closed, and thousands of other old-time radio episodes at relicradio.com. You'll find our Shoutcast stream there, and you can donate through the website as well. Thanks to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me today. I'll be back next Wednesday with another hour of crime on the next episode of Case Closed. Case Closed.